Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Hope you had a great holiday weekend. And here we go with another week and lots going on. Things we'll be watching for the Senate getting back to work. Do they get something done on a coronavirus aid package? We're waiting for details on CFAP 2, a lot of things expected this week. And, of course, we're watching the weather as we head into harvest. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson for his forecast. We'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance, more China purchases. We'll talk about that. And concerns with some trade issues with Mexico and the plan to address produce concerns. Could it have an adverse effect on trade say, in the dairy sector. We'll talk with Jaime Castaneda with the National Milk Producers Federation about those concerns later in the program. So lots to talk about as we get things going. Let's start it off with Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, good to talk with you and the Senate getting back to work this week. What are you hearing? Are they going to be able to get something done on a coronavirus package or not? Well, there's some reports this morning that uh, Senator McConnell does plan to, if they can get to, to 51 votes, uh, they're going to vote on a package. But keep in mind, uh, the Senate would put something out uh, in July in terms of their negotiating perspective on where they see things on coronavirus relief. And then the Senate kind of got out of the way, and it was negotiations between House Democrats and the Trump administration on finding, uh, finding some kind of a compromise on the new bill. And uh, we've heard that there's been some phone calls between Speaker Pelosi and uh, either Speaker Mnuchin or uh, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, uh, but those conversations haven't really gone anywhere. And so we're sort of in the, in a same or similar spot uh, that we were in the end of July on coronavirus relief. I guess one uh, one um, you know shining nugget in this whole deal is that uh, Secretary Mnuchin and uh, Speaker Pelosi have come to some sort of an agreement that they're looking for a continuing resolution by the end of the month that is uh, clean and, and free of any policy riders that might uh, cause it to be to be tanked on Capitol Hill. So they are able to come to some semblance of an agreement on that. And uh, this is you know always a town where deadlines spur action, and one of the most uh, important deadlines in Congress every year is the end of September. Meanwhile, we expect to get deta- details of CFAP 2 this week. Right. That was something Secretary Purdue said last week as he was in Iowa, as a matter of fact, uh, said that uh, the, the you know sign-up deadline for CFAP ends uh, on, I believe it's Friday of this week. I don't have my calendar in front of me. Yep, yep, it is Friday. Yeah. Um, and uh, he said that they're looking to have the details out on CFAP, too, before then. So uh, I guess Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, uh, we'll, we'll get that information from them. But really what we're watching for is how some of these specifics in the program itself is going to work. You know, we saw how CFAP 1 uh, covered a lot of those losses up until April 15th. The secretary has said that uh, CFAP 2 is going to cover all losses from April 15th through the end of the year. Well, just how they do that is going to have a, a big impact on terms of what uh, what the checks that producers receive will look like, look like, and also the in the grand scheme of things, the total price tag on the program itself. It sounds like they want to run it kind of like CFAP one as far as who's eligible. 
Yeah, and that was he, he did mention that there's going they're going to expand a lot of uh, the eligibility in terms of commodities. Uh, you know, you you and your listeners might remember the original CFAP one announcement uh, had a more limited list of commodities than are currently eligible because USDA basically came out and said, hey, let let us know if if you've got a claim to make here that uh, we're not we're not supporting your commodity enough, and and some folks took them up on that. Well, those commodities that were able to make an economic claim, they're going to be included in CFAP too. And so what that means in terms of com- level of support that can be offered to uh, some of the commodities that were already existing in that program, specifically uh, beef, cattle, corn, soybeans, dairy, et cetera, uh, obviously that remains to be seen. Secretary Purdue did make it clear, though, that ethanol producers would not be included in, in this CFAP as they weren't in the first one. Right, and that's something he uh, USDA is kind of kicking that back to Congress and saying, "Listen, we don't have the authority to, uh, you know, issue that level of support." And uh, you know, in, in in Congress, some of the language floating around right now uh, talks about offering support to producers and processors. Well, uh, yes, ethanol would probably fall under that processors language, but as would a lot of textile mills, a lot of uh, cotton processing facilities. And so there's a lot of different uh, different areas where that processing uh, umbrella could probably work. And then all of a sudden that dissipates the money quite a bit in terms of what folks can actually receive for support. And so whether or not that leads to, you know, as I mentioned, a, a lesser level of support or if Congress is going to, you know, look to be very specific that this processing is directed specifically toward the ethanol industry, that's definitely something we're watching. We're also watching to see if the administration can work out a deal with Brazil on this ethanol tariff issue. Yeah, that's uh, Bill Thompson on our staff has been uh, chasing that one down like crazy, and uh, had a few have had a few phone calls with him where we're both kind of pulling our hair out over the deal. It's it's something that has been unfolding for weeks, and it's obviously a very key export market for the U.S. And if they're able to get a better footing there. Um, that would obviously lead to uh, lead to improved outcomes for American biofuel producers. It's just kind of, uh, you know, you mentioned the CFAP uh, you know, issue earlier. It's just one more thing that's making life uh, a little bit more difficult than the, in the ethanol community right now. You would think, so close to the election, the administration would want to show some support or give some win uh, for the ethanol industry. Well, and maybe that's what they're thinking, uh, you know, the CFAT payments will, will do in terms of getting support to producers themselves. Uh, obviously, you know, giving a, a guy that's growing the corn uh, a little bit of extra money doesn't do a lot for the ethanol plant itself. I suppose it does keep the corn farmer in business to be able to supply to the ethanol plants uh, the next year. But um, there's, you know, it's definitely tough times in, in biofuels right now and some folks really, really looking for some assistance. And also, frankly, looking for the rules of the road in terms of uh, renewable volume obligations, small refinery exemptions. Frankly, not expecting a lot of news on that front until after the after the election. Finally, Spencer, are are USDA offices there in Washington D.C. Are they open or not? Well, uh, it depends how you define open. Uh, some folks are are reporting to work and have been for a little while. Um, I do know that they're kind of in the process of trying to phase folks back into that building. And there's been some uh, some back and forth between the department and some of the employee unions on that subject in terms of, you know, just how that's going to work, how they're supposed to be notified if there's a positive case among the workforce. Uh, but that building is definitely not to the original capacity that it once was, uh, you know, in January, February or March. 
Well, a lot to watch for this week. I know you and the, the AgriPulse crew will be uh, keeping us up to date on that. Thanks a lot, Spencer. We'll talk again soon. Always a pleasure, Mike. All right. Take care. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. We'll see what happens with the Brazil tariff situation. We'll see what happens with the CFAP 2 announcement coming this week. What will the details be? So quite a few things as the Senate comes back into work this week. And can they work out some type of compromise agreement on the CFA, on the coronavirus assistance package? Remains to be seen. Some thinking they just won't get it done, at least before the election. We will see. Well, what about the weather as we head into harvest? Some interesting weather across the country over the holiday weekend. We'll get into that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson up next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Jim, let's start with China. Your thoughts on the, their purchases and where we're at as far as sales to them when it comes to soybean? Well, we've been very uh, pleased to see that the pace picking up for sales. Obviously, we are uh, we're at the, almost a record level. We'll see when we get the numbers this week in terms of new crop sales uh, as we start the new marketing year. So, uh, you know, we've been thinking for a while that there was uh, going to be a real good effort from the Chinese in terms of implementing the phase one agreement. And I think we're seeing that happen. You know, we had to get through the time period when Brazil is the normal kind of southern hemisphere exporter and their main window. Uh, that window has, uh, the, the shipments are certainly winding down. We're all hearing talk about the prices in Brazil going up. And we're seeing them now turn to the United States. So they've got a nice purchase book on from, from the U.S., as do other countries. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today. 
with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thank you for being with us. Uh, Some interesting weather across the country over the uh, Labor Day weekend. Well, uh, it was, Mike, uh, definitely with the uh, very hot uh, Labor Day weekend in much of the central part of the country, and of course in the west, it was just uh, blistering hot with the uh, fires that uh, have uh, hit record levels and uh, have destroyed entire communities in parts of California, really not letting up very much. And then on uh, Monday, uh, there was the strong cold front that moved in, and we're still getting that uh, with uh, rain in parts of the western Midwest and the northern Midwest, and then uh, some snow in the high country in uh, the Black Hills and uh, parts of the Rockies. So there's been a, a notable uh, reverse. Everything had been pretty well identified. And uh, as uh, forecast, uh, here came the uh, cooler conditions, and we're going to have that staying with us uh, through the balance of this week. The snow in the Rockies sure got a lot of attention. It did, and and um, I don't know, uh you know, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, you know kind of uh, you know chatter about it and everything. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's nice to see uh, it helped to to kill off the grasshoppers that have been hitting uh, so hard in uh, parts of the high country in Wyoming and Montana, and it also helped to tamp down at least some of the fires that have been going on in Montana. So I think that the snow was actually a benefit and. September snow in high elevations, a little colder condition. Uh, that's uh, not that unusual, uh, maybe a little bit early, but um, to uh, to get that after the harsh heat wave that they put up with, uh, along with uh, drought conditions, I don't think anybody is, uh, is really complaining too much because uh, in terms of uh, net effect, uh, that was a pretty favorable scenario. Uh, the grasshopper damage that uh, had been occurring in, in uh, pastures and hay fields was notable, and we know about uh, the, the fire problems as well. So anything that's going to help that is going to be very welcome. All right, so we have Labor Day behind us now. We're already a week into September. What's your forecast here this coming week? Well, after uh, we get through this week when there's going to be um, another round or two of rain and then some colder conditions in the uh, northern plains and in the far northern Midwest, uh, the uh, pattern is going to turn more zonal on us next week. And uh, that's going to offer uh, the chance for uh, some uh, milder temperatures, a little bit more seasonal as we look ahead into the uh, latter half of September. And uh, rainfall uh, precipitation is going to be uh, fairly widespread in uh, much of the plains in the Midwest this week. Then next week turns drier. So um, there's uh, going to be a 
an opportunity for the southern plains, even the drier areas of southwestern Kansas, southeast Colorado, Texas, Oklahoma, Panhandle, to uh, get in on this rainfall uh, event that we've got happening. And uh, I'm hoping that that indeed pans out, because after this week, uh, with the uh, pattern turning more zonal, we're not going to be getting a whole lot of moisture chances renewing in that southwestern plains area. So the uh, precip that uh, happens this week is going to be very uh, important for that part of the country. And um, as far as uh, the prospects for an additional round of, of freeze potential in the northern crop areas, I don't think we're going to be seeing that next week. So uh, if, uh, you know, if we can uh, get by without a lot of real chilly conditions over the next 24 hours in the Wednesday, following that, following that uh, it does look uh, fairly decent on temperatures over the next week or so offering, again, a little bit of improvement in terms of late-season crop conditions in areas that still could use a, a few more days yet before it's all done with the crop season this year. What about through the heart of the Midwest? Is uh, In the next week to two, we're going to see a lot of harvesting start kicking off. Yeah, I think, it, I, I think this week could be a little bit slower because of uh, the prospect of showers, of course. Uh, next week, though, is looking drier. And with that, uh, that's going to be better for uh, getting harvest underway. Um, speaking of uh, that, that part of things, uh, you get farther to our south. The delta is looking fairly dry for this week. And I think that uh, row crop harvest that uh, is uh, possibly getting underway in that section of the country is going to have a pretty good week for it. So, uh, so the onset of uh, corn harvest particularly, I think, is going to go fairly well to our, to our far south. And uh, as uh, you know, we uh, start working farther northward, uh, conditions are, are looking pretty decent as well. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So, Bryce, uh, what about the uh, latter part of September into October? What, what's your fall forecast looking like? Uh, mainly on the warm and dry side, Mike. Uh, after we get through this, uh, this shot of cooler air, uh, the pattern is turning warmer. And uh, getting into October, it is still looking uh, pretty much below normal on temperatures. And uh, for me, the uh, message is that harvest in uh, 2020 is going to be a better uh, season and a better uh, part of the season than uh, harvest in 2018 and 2019. Uh, Both the last two years have had you know, these rounds of uh, rain and snow, chilly conditions, slow, uh, a lot of delays and so forth. But uh, this year, it, it does not look like that kind of a pattern is going to be a part of things. And obviously, that's going to be uh, very useful and should offer uh, crop drying conditions that are pretty decent in the field so that uh, the investment in artificial drying uh, is going to be better, uh, both in terms of the uh, impact on the uh, on the ledger, on the account side of things, but also just in terms of grain quality. We know that uh, grain has higher quality if you can uh, take it out of the field in uh, fairly dry and storage-ready uh, condition instead of having to run it through the dryer when you start losing a little bit here and there. So we're talking harvest here, but they're talking planting in South America. What's their weather look like? 
I think they're going to have a pretty slow time of it to uh, start things out. Um, the last month has been quite dry in most of Brazil. Uh, Mato Grosso, Goiás, Minas, Mato Grosso do Sul, Paraná, they, have, they uh, have all been pretty dry. Only Rio Grande do Sul has had uh, substantial rainfall. And looking ahead, uh, the next week is not going to bring any rainfall into uh, the majority of the Brazil soybean areas. And uh, with that, uh, I don't think that uh, there's going to be much of a start, uh, even when uh, the official uh, starting time is, is uh, hit on the calendar. And that's going to be next week uh, because of soybean rust uh, control protocol. But without soil moisture, uh, it is uh, not going to be a, a scenario where growers can confidently uh, put that seed in the ground and know that there's going to be moisture available for germination. So I think that we're going to see soybean planting hold off uh, for sure until the uh, September 20th to 25th time frame and maybe even the following week into the end of September early October, unless this pattern completely changes, and right now it doesn't look like it. And finally, real quick, uh, Bryce, a lot of people talking about uh, uh, the predictions of a harsh, hard winter for us uh, here in the U.S., and that snow in the Rockies uh, the last few days really seemed to you know, kind of validate that in some people's minds that that's what's coming. What do you think? Well, I'm going to go uh, and reference a blog that I put out last week uh, that that had uh, quite a few uh, views and uh, and actually uh, quite a few who read uh, the blog and I appreciate that. But uh, the blog was about the expected winter impact with a developing La Nina event in the Pacific with the cooler water temperature sustained in the equatorial Pacific and the definite uh, weather effects that we see in North America when La Nina is in effect, as identified back in 1987 by uh, Chet Ropaleski and Mike Halpert with NOAA include a stormy and uh, wetter-than-normal condition in the Ohio Valley and the eastern Midwest and a colder-than-normal winter in the northern plains, northern Midwest, and uh, into the Canadian prairies. Uh, So that is a result of sustained high pressure, allowing a consistent flow of that northern air over the northern third of the country. We'll be talking a lot more about that uh, in the days ahead. All right. Good to talk with you, Bryce. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate it, Mike. See you later. Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Hmm. All right. Markets next. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. 
A toast to soil health. More and more landowners and their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. It's time now for a market update here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wheat futures have been trending lower on this Tuesday amid new estimates of larger world wheat supplies. The Australian Bureau of Agricultural and Resource Economics showing a sharp increase in the upcoming Australian wheat crop estimate to 28.9 million metric tons, almost double last year's figure. After holding a record short position on corn futures, managed money funds have reverted to a net long position on corn. That according to new numbers from the CFTC, an hour into the day in corn futures, December up a penny and a quarter at 359 and a quarter. March up a penny at 369 and a half. Soybeans, November up two and a half, 970 and a half. January, 976 and a quarter, up two and a half cents. Chicago wheat December down three at five forty-seven and a quarter. Kansas City wheat December down a penny at four seventy-one and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat December down three and three quarters at five thirty-nine. For livestock at the Merck, cattle futures trending higher on this Tuesday. October live cattle up ninety-five at one hundred five thirty-seven. December at one hundred nine thirty-five up eighty-seven. Feeder cattle October up thirty at one thirty-eight eighty. November up 35 at 139.87. Lean hog futures, October down 25 at 59.57. December down 30 at 57.95. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 428 points. NASDAQ down 249. The S&P down 53. October crude oil down $3.12 a barrel. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And let's talk it over with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oilseeds Analyst with Robbo AgriFinance. Steve, hope you had a good 
Labor Day weekend, so here we are now, a weekend of September. I tell you, I, I love fall. I just, uh, I always let go of summer kicking and screaming because I, I, I hate the thought of winter coming, but uh, let's embrace fall and harvest season upon us, and, and here we go. Uh, what are your thoughts with the markets as we head into harvest season? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Yes, it was a, a nice, peaceful weekend, which I needed, so... Yeah, I mean, we now turn to fall and we turn to harvest. And I, I mean, I will say I come to harvest this year with both, you know, always the excitement of harvest and, you know, kind of to get our, what to reap the benefits of our hard work this, you know, this growing season. But at this, you know, this particular harvest too is a little trepidation because you don't know what's out there, um, particularly when you look across parts of Iowa um, and you look across, you know, the Delta's had hurricane. Um, and I mean, we'll at least mention our friends in California who have been just, you know, racked by these horrible storms or these horrible firestorms. So, so there's a little trepidation. But I, I think from a market perspective, we have to think about where we are today and what's kind of coming. And let's look at both futures and bases separately. Um, you know, futures have had quite a run here. Um, a nice rally. You know, we're back up, at least in corn, we're back up to the highs that we saw early this early this summer after the acreage numbers. And I think, as we've talked before, in, in these markets where we have plenty, plenty of supply, burdensome stocks, let's just be honest about it, you know, I think, I think we all need to think about what the market's given us and, and reward the market for this rally. So I think that's kind of the first thing to set aside. And as we get into harvest, and I, and I think it's going to be a kind of a harvest that's going to be tough to figure out from a market perspective. The market, futures markets, are going to try to figure out, you know, are we going to see a lot of harvest pressure? Because as we get this this crop that's, you know, maturing very quickly because of dry weather, you know, it's going to be available and it's going to move through the fields pretty fast. But at the same time, when you look at what's going on in Iowa with all the with all the storm destruction, could be a long, drawn-out harvest there, which may not, we may not see the hedge pressure um, from corn, um, that we would expect on a normal on a normal basis. So I think it's a it's a lot of things going on, and so I think we have to keep track of a, on a on a you know almost a daily basis of what's going on with the markets and how harvest is progressing. Now, bases is a whole other story, and and looking at bases this morning and looking over the last couple three days, we started to see corn bases and soybean bases start to drop into those harvest levels, which tend to be pretty wide, and so. You know, your opportunity on basis right now may be behind you, um, and, and you may have to wait now until we get deeper into harvest or, or almost through harvest um, when those opportunities may arise on basis and we start to see them pop up. I will say the one exception to that is beans. Um, the fact is that, of course, we have a huge uh, export program on with China this year, and I, and I think that's where the opportunity will be on the basis side with beans. Is that, and I, I'm still friendly beans overall because of that export program. We've got to get beans out of the country and get them to the ports. And you know, the Gulf is is bidding a nice number uh, basis wise, and so that basis will start to back up through the interior and give give everyone opportunities to to get a little higher bean number than they thought they were going to get. You know, just a sheer you know 30, 45 days ago. Over the so weekend, I was out. Dr- yeah, I was driving over the weekend and, and saw a farmer yeah. cleaning out some bins and uh, just wondering, are we seeing a lot of old crop movement now? You know, I think we have seen a lot of old crop movement. I think a lot of that got was was happening in July, uh, late July, 
in early August. So I don't, you know, and you think about it, I hate to go back to the Duraco always, but if you look at the Duraco and the bins that were damaged, you know, a lot of them were, there was corn on the bottom of them, but they weren't absolutely full. Um, think about, you know, the floods of 18 when we saw that flood come through in March and bins that were broken open and they were just full of corn, where they didn't. So I think a lot of that corn has been moved. Uh, there is going to be some that's still on its way out the door, uh, and you don't know when that was contracted, but you're right. I mean, there's still some that has to move um, into the country, into the into the into the supply channel. But most of that's probably Talk done with, now. Yeah, we're talking with Steve Nicholson with Rabo Agrifinance. So, what do you make of China's uh, shopping spree here as of late? Yeah, it's really interesting. We we had our global um, call of our analysts this morning. Um, in oh dark hundred as I would say, and we were talking to our analysts in China, and you know it's it's going to be a really interesting go. I think China, you know, we've there's everything from they need they need product because they have brought corn and wheat stocks down, or I'm sorry, corn stocks down, um, and they always need soybeans because they're trying to feed animals and they're trying to keep you know crushing facilities going. So I think there is a need there, um, and I think that's a really interesting. Thing. And the other thing is, when you think about how much they have bought so quickly, now part of that I think is the fact is, you know, they're price shoppers. And we had very cheap prices earlier this summer, and they took advantage of that and, and went, went on, a, on one of our buying spree. You know, the other pieces, are they getting ready for, you know, to kind of hunker down for another, another um, you know, surge in coronavirus? You know, is there, is there a bit of that mentality too? They don't want to get caught short. And that's one thing we see in countries thinking about this is that knowing we're going into winter in the northern hemisphere, it's flu season, it, does the coronavirus come back, and countries don't want to be caught short like they were last time in the fear of, of not being able to move product in and around the country. So there, there's probably some of that happening as well. There's also, I think, it's also the phase one. You know, they're trying to fulfill that promise, which is pretty interesting to me, because um, China has not historically been good at fulfilling their promises. Um, but I think there is a lot of politics, and there's a lot of um, one-upmanship in this whole process. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things moving that, or, you know, kind of moving that process along. But I think the other thing we have to think about on the other side, if, if for those who've been reading, you know, Brazil looks like they're going to plant a record number of of hectares next fall, or right now, coming you know here shortly, of soybeans, and so they're going to have a huge soybean crop next you know next March. So something to keep in mind, and keep in mind what that does to prices as we go down the road. So, but we just heard talking with uh, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, kind of dry down uh, in South America. That that could be a story to watch. Yeah, it could be a story to watch, but I will always caution we were talking about this this morning they have had a little rain the last several days so that's eased some of the dryness but one of the things i always remember um my colleague in sao paulo telling me is that you know this is typically a dry season for brazil and they kind of go through a period here into this august september period even into october where if they don't get rain it's not crucial but they tend to get rains more last half october into november parts of december and so you know it is Something to watch, you know, does this, the drought that we've seen in, you know, the central part of our corn belt, does that extend into South America? So it is something to watch, and the markets will be a little more sensitive to that, depending a little bit on how our soybean crop comes out. But, you know, our soybean crop is probably 
has some challenges in front of it, and so we'll have to watch that as well. And that will be the telltale as to whether the whether Brazil is a market mover from their weather perspective. And on our production, it's going to be interesting as we start figuring in yeah. the damage in Iowa and what that yeah. impact is on our on our total production this year. Yeah, it is. And I, for those who have driven through Iowa or driven in Iowa, when I was there a week ago, um, it's just devastating to see. I mean, you think of, I, I mean, my first reaction was, gosh, all that hard work destroyed in just a matter of minutes. Um, you see everything from fields that are flat. You see fields that look like an egg beater went through them. Uh, cornfields, I'm thinking about. You know, the bean fields when I went through looked okay. They did not look flattened like corn, but it's going to be a long, drawn-out harvest for some folks, and it's going to be a really disappointing harvest. And, and I will tell you also, there were folks already disking corn under, and there were you know fields that were clean, and they're like, wow, I wasn't expecting to see that. But it's just it's very sad. And then you add the drought on top of that, and you just don't know what that crop's going to – how is it going to perform? How is it going to come out of there? Is there going to be issues with the quality of the crop? I mean, there's just one thing after another, and it's – you know, for producers, I'm just heart sick and, and just think, when when will they catch a break? Whether it's a flood or too much rain in the spring and now a drought and Drake on it's like, ugh, just when does it, when do we catch a break and just have whatever a normal year looks like? Yeah. Yeah, I was it through is, there, through parts of Iowa. It is. It's just so sad to see that. Uh, all right. So now we're about to start getting actual harvest numbers, though, for the markets to react yep. to. Yeah, exactly. And this is in this is where USDA made some changes. The August number, you know, for previous years was was a, a number that they had actually gone out in fields and done some surveying. In the last several years, that hasn't been the case. Now this year, um, this would be I think the second or third year, and someone may correct me on it, and that's fine. The USDA has looked at the September number and will actually see objective yield and survey numbers where they've actually gone out and walked fields. So we also one thing we should note in this report is they are going to resurvey Iowa for harvested acres. So expect, you know, expect to see a contraction of harvested acres on corn um, and soybeans particularly may, may also be the case uh, that well, the market will be watching very carefully to see, you know, is that half a million acres or is it three million acres? You know, what's that number going to be? Because that has a huge impact on production. And then we'll see actually first-time yield numbers, you know, out of the, out of the Corn Belt states. What are we seeing? What is actually... What are we measuring as we walk through those fields? So, um, big report on 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 Saturday or on Friday, excuse me, um, that the market will react to very quickly, and we'll, you know, I think we'll be interesting to watch. Yep, we'll watch it closely. Thanks, Steve. Good to talk with you. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Good to you too. Thanks, Mike. Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Up next, trade issues with Mexico. We'll talk with Jaime Castaneda with the National Milk Producers Federation. Next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. 
you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Wearing a seatbelt while driving or riding in a vehicle can greatly reduce the risk of injury or death. Sadly, half of all roadway fatalities are unbuckled drivers and passengers. People who aren't buckled endanger not only themselves, but others in the vehicle as well. Everyone riding in vehicles should be properly restrained to increase the likelihood of survival. Drivers should make sure that all occupants of the vehicle, including themselves, are buckled up. Drive safe save lives. When it comes to powering your diesel equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS outshines all the rest. Diesel X Gold has been reformulated to restore lost power with new detergency that cleans up and prevents sticky internal injector deposits and traditional carbon deposits. So when you need more power to work the fields or drive down the highway, fuel your equipment with Diesel X Gold from FS. Contact your local FS energy specialist today and power your equipment with Diesel X Gold. Absolutely the best fuel to power and protect diesel engines. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. 
recently on Adams on Agriculture. Let's continue looking at the storm damage. We're joined now by Megan Anderson, Iowa State Extension Field Agronomist. Megan, thank you for joining us. You had a couple weeks now. I know you've been out uh, looking at fields, assessing the damage. What what can you tell us? What's the overview that you've seen? It's really remarkable how widespread the damage is. I mean, I know we keep saying that, but it's just it's completely unbelievable how, uh, to me, how uh, people all the way out in West Central Iowa are affected and have flat fields and, and people all the way over pretty close to the Illinois border have been affected. So the, the size and scale of it is amazing. And then I would say the, the really disappointing thing to see has been how quickly the corn crop has gone downhill here since the time of that storm. And we were already struggling a little bit with some dryness in some areas and that has basically just spread. And that combined with the heat that we had last week has really sent the corn crop downhill. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, how the U.S. handles complaints by southeastern U.S. fruit and vegetable growers with Mexico, how that issue is addressed and handled could impact other areas of trade with Mexico, such as dairy. Let's talk about it with Jaime Castaneda, Senior Vice President, Policy Strategy and International Trade for the National Milk Producers Federation. Jaime, thanks for joining us. Uh, As you watch this situation unfold, uh, the back and forth on fruit and vegetable trade between the U.S. and Mexico. How concerned are you that it could spill over and somehow impact dairy trade? Thanks, Mike. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to be with you and your audience. Uh, I think that we we dutched a bullet and uh, for now. I think that uh, we went through a number of hearings in which uh, both the National Milk Producers and the U.S. Dairy Export Council testify and it wasn't uh, against the concerns of uh, farmers, protest farmers in the Southeast, but it was about that the U.S. government have to be extremely careful uh, and whatever they do, it cannot, the result cannot be on more retaliation, more tariffs against uh, U.S. dairy farmers and dairy products. So that was that was the key message. I think that the way that uh, the U.S. government uh, resulted on 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 a type of study that is called a 201 is probably uh, the best of the outcomes at this stage. So you think the way the administration is handling it so far is uh, is the right way to do it as far as. Uh protecting other sectors of uh, agriculture from any retaliation? Well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a method that is going to be very difficult for the Southeast producers to prove that they have uh, a case against Mexico. The issue here is that we're not opposed to investigate. We would always want to actually investigate if uh, somebody is uh, increasing their import, their exports into the United States, in which we think is, is in an unfair manner. But uh, it has to be done in a manner that uh, 
fulfill our trade commitments. If not, Mexico will retaliate. This way in which the administration is doing it raises the bar uh, in which uh, Southeast producers have to meet in order for the U.S. government to uh, impose new tariffs against Mexico. Let's talk about our trade, dairy trade with Mexico. Huge customer for U.S. dairy. How is it going here in the early stages of USMCA? Have we seen any real difference from what we saw under NAFTA? Yeah, and and this is why uh, this issue of the fiscal produce is so important because when we were retaliated against because of the steel tariffs, our uh, cheese market was impacted significantly. So trade right now, we export over a billion dollars into Mexico large customer for skim milk powder, very important, large customer for cheese. The, the pandemic uh, has impacted somewhat our exports uh, of skim milk powder, but cheese, we're actually breaking records uh, of exports into, into Mexico, which were already large. So I think in overall, we're doing pretty well despite uh, the, 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 the whole pandemic. What about with Canada? There's been a lot of efforts to stress to uh, the administration the need to enforce uh, USMCA when it comes to the dairy provisions with Canada. What are we seeing there? Good point, Mike. Uh, you know, with Canadians, you always have to actually sort of like trust but verify. And we are we have seen already uh, a a way of the Canadians, a, a methodology for them to try to prevent uh, large uh, imports of high-value products in the way that they, they manage their uh, licenses and uh, their import licenses. We have actually complained and we have raised a number of uh, issues with the administration and I believe the administration will bring a case against Canada unless the Canadians agree to modify this. Uh, when, I'm not sure, but I think it should be coming any time in, in the near future. What I want to emphasize to your, your um, listeners is that whoever has an ability to export into Canada, try to export. We need to actually have proof that we have tried to export into Canada and we have failed because of the way that they run their import license. And finally, uh, Jaime, as we look at China and their purchases, how much dairy are we selling into China? We uh, we don't sell in, uh, enough, or we don't sell as much as I would like to see that, uh, that we should be selling to them. Uh, we are back in, in the way market. As you know, we had a significant decline because of both the retaliatory tariffs, but also the uh, swine fever. The, we're back on the way and they're actually importing and they're rebuilding their, their pork um, uh, sector. But I believe we have uh, a significant impact uh, opportunity to sell a lot more uh, powder and a lot more cheese, 
but unfortunately, we still have the retaliatory tariffs, and that is a, a major hurdle. So as long as actually we don't get rid of that, um, I don't think that we're going to have the opportunities that you are seeing with soybeans and corn uh, going into China in the case of dairy. All right, Jaime. Thank you very much for the update. We appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. Take, take care. All right. You too. Jaime Castaneda, Senior Vice President, Policy Strategy and International Trade for the National Milk Producers Federation. And that wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow right here on AOA.